So Holy Spirit, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And I'm thankful for those who are present with me in the room and those who are present in spirit through uh, social media, through Facebook and, and the recording as well that will be put out. We simply come before you as children. Lord, we uh, see throughout the Old Testament, you refer to your people as the children of Israel. And we come before you as the children of God. Lord, we're, we're asking that you would teach us to pray. Teach us the ins and outs of our relationship to you and this divine mystery called prayer. Lord, help us to understand your heart uh, more tonight as it relates to this incredible subject. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we talked last week about prayer. We're going to talk this week about prayer. It's kind of what we do around here. But last week we talked about when two or three gather and the unique blessing that Jesus says, when two or three gather, I'm there in, a, in an added dimension of blessing. But he also equally blesses prayer when we're alone. And so that's the subject tonight. The title is Prayer When You Get Alone With God. I want to quickly just mention the, the sense I've been feeling the strongest out of anything I feel the Lord saying is that it's, it's this hour of prayer He's looking for us to regularly buy into. And so it, it has become my prayer. I have it underlined there in, in letter A. It's become my prayer that God's people would embrace a regular hour of prayer. My prayer in this hour is that God's people would embrace a regular hour of prayer. And I've got a number of scriptures I went through last week, and I'll go through a number tonight. But there's just something about gathering with others or getting alone and just doing more than the kind of open the Bible, glance at a verse, close the Bible, and run. There's something about sitting there and just letting God speak to us that does something that nothing else can I mean, and I believe in praying in the car and prayer walking and, you know, praying when we're doing the dishes. I try to do all these different versions. But there's something about just setting aside time. We kind of close off all the technology and we just connect. And we, Lord, talk to me. And, and as I talk to you, inspire me and teach me your word. And so you just open the Bible and you just have that conversation and there's something the Lord's wanting to do in our hearts and in His church related to this very subject. Let's go to the text for tonight, Matthew 6, 5 through 8. This is the NIV. I like how the NIV says it. Matthew 6, 5 through 8. Jesus is teaching on a number of subjects. And what I consider this is the extended Sermon on the Mount. So he gives the blessed are those who are merciful and blessed are those who are persecuted. And then he talks for like two, three more chapters. That's what, it's like he elaborates on the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is kind of part of that elaboration on those initial bullets. And so he teaches all these really important subjects and one of them is prayer. 
And so in Matthew 6, he starts off, and when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, excuse me, do not be like the hypocrites. I love how he starts off his prayer sermon. When you pray, don't be a hypocrite. Okay. For they love to pray. Now that's good. That's good right there. If it ended there, that's good. These people love to pray, but standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And so Jesus just goes straight for the jugular on this one. When you pray, assuming this is you're going to do this, don't do it to be seen by people. Because, and I'm going to get into this in more detail, the culture had become such that almost everything was about being seen. It, it didn't start with Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. It started as early as mankind was coming to the come into existence. This need to be seen. This need to look at me perform my prayer is steeped in religious culture for millennia, dating back to the times of Jesus and all the way back into the earliest parts of history. And so he knows this is a this is a deeply embedded value that I got to get at. I got to just go right for that jugular vein. Don't pray to be seen by others. He doesn't start off with a technique. He doesn't start off with, here's a couple things. You, He says, don't be a hypocrite. I mean, what a startling... I mean, I'm sure you're... If you're there listening to this Messiah teacher coming through town and he says, by the way, when you guys pray, don't do it with a spirit of hypocrisy. It's kind of like, Ugh. I don't know if I like this guy. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full already. Here's the thing, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go a little quicker through this, but the reward of doing it to be seen, posting it on Instagram or whatever, and I'm not gonna make too big of a comment on that. <laughs> the the look at me, I'm praying on the corner, a really nice prayer has its reward in the fact that people saw you. But Jesus go, I got a better deal. You can do it in secret and get a way bigger reward from my Father. Some people have taken this text and made it so religious that you can't do anything in public or it can't be rewarded. It has nothing to do with that. It has 100% to do with the motivation. If we're doing our religious activities, if we're doing the things we're doing, including prayer, so that I hope people see me and, and praise me and click like a bunch of times, if that's why we're doing it and it gets... In a culture where it's easy to do that today, it gets kind of iffy. I mean, it's, it's easy to fall into that is why I'm saying. He says, you got to check your heart there. Because there is a potential reward that you're going to miss out on. Let me keep reading. But when you pray, again, he's saying this to the religious Jewish community, when you pray, 
Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Remarkable. And when you pray, he keeps going here, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. Interesting statement. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So we're going to unpack that tonight. I wanted to read it, comment it on a little bit, but we're going to unpack. What an almost strange little three verses on prayer. You'd think, okay, guys, I want you to get a prayer life. Here's what you need to do. One, two, three. None of that. He cuts right into that vein and he just says, don't be a hypocrite. Don't do it to be seen. Get alone. God sees you. Because there was a prayer culture. It was just way off. So he's making these corrections. So let's go to letter B. To be sure, Jesus taught and exemplified both private and corporate prayer. I have a bunch of verses there. He's not saying you have to do it private. No, he, he's... He uh, exemplified corporate prayer. He taught corporate prayer. He exemplified private prayer. He, um, you know, lived private prayer. And there's all kinds of verses there. The idea is you're going to do this, but you got to get it in private. You got to get this down in the secret place or it's always going to be about this showmanship that had infected the religious culture. I want to be clear as I begin. This is not to be understood as a sweeping condemnation of all public prayer gatherings. Of course, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if that's how we saw that. Uh, A gentleman by the name of R.T. France, he wrote a commentary on Matthew, a very well-known commentary. He says, really, the issue here is not the prayer, but the motive. They were doing it. They were standing up in the synagogue. Oh, Lord of Israel. I mean, they were doing it so that people would be like, wow, what an amazing prayer guy. And they'd even go to the streets and make a big public display. Oh, Yahweh, we love you. You know, just so that people would gather and watch them. He says, don't go there. All of John 17 was a public prayer. Jesus prayed for about 26 verses publicly. So he, he did both, but he's advocating how to get free of this spirit of hypocrisy, how to have a genuine prayer life, in other words. I love in Luke 5.16, it says that Jesus would often with, withdraw, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. He had a life habit. Yes, he prayed publicly. Yes, he taught public prayer gatherings. But he would occasionally, and very occasionally, slip off into the mountain and go connect with his father. And Scripture says sometimes all night he would continue in prayer. So he'd do all-day ministry, pray all night, and then do next day all ministry. He did this for years. I don't don't know how he did it other than a miracle of grace. Because I do one day of ministry, I'm done for six days. (laughs) Jesus did ministry, pray all night, ministry. No wonder he fell asleep on the boat that one day. And if you can wake up out of a dead sleep and rebuke a storm and it listen, you're, you're God. Acts 10 verse 9 
It says, this is the story of Peter. It says Peter went on to his roof. Houses back then, that was kind of a common, you know, we wouldn't go on our roof to pray necessarily, but a little, little different housing situation back then, but they had places where you could get on your roof. And, and so he interpreted, and, and I think what we're to interpret Jesus' words as is the idea is to have a private prayer life. He wasn't saying you can only go into the innermost room and, and it, I've seen one commentator say we actually have no record of Jesus actually going into the room he spoke of and praying like that. Many houses didn't necessarily have this secret, ultra-secret room, and if they did, it was so small you could barely fit in there. So the idea was just go into your home, whatever you know, small area that you know, is closed off to others, go there and pray and embrace that private place. For Peter, he said, I'm going to go to my roof. And God met him during that prayer time in Acts 10.9 really powerfully. You've got to read that story. So Peter, we read last week, he went to corporate prayer, Acts 3.1, at the hour of prayer. He went with John to the temple to pray. But he also has this private prayer life on his roof. And so he does both. And I think really that's the example. We have our personal prayer times. We have our public prayer times, and that really is the spirit of what Jesus is saying throughout his ministry. That's the spirit of house of prayer. We do this as a spiritual family. We do this alone. That's our priestly nature as Christians. Now let's dive a little deeper here. Got a lot written down, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get into all of it, but let's, let's dive a little bit deeper. We can assume that Jesus highlights these two particular concerns in this passage, Matthew 6, 5 to 8. He think, he, I mean, he knows, he's God. These are the two big ones. If I can get them to you know, really connect on these two concerns, then I've done my job. I mean, he knew they were most important then. He knew they would be most important throughout church history. So he's coming at this as this, this is the issue. It's not so much that people don't know a technique. It's not so much, you know, they haven't read the right books. It's that religion really can mess up your prayer life and, and shape your view of God so that you're always feeling like you have to perform. And that, there's just so many traps in that whole so we're going to unpack some of this. So what Jesus is doing, he's acting as both prophet and teacher. He's exposing the error, and he's pointing to the remedy in the same message, in just a couple verses. It's, it's actually a really profound three verses, um, or four verses. He says so much in so little space so often. I mean, he says three, four verses, and you're just studying it hour after hour going, wow, there's so much here. I have a, an analogy here written down. Try to, try to think of a person who never had a good example in their life of how to talk to other people. 
They just they grew up in some kind of environment where no one around them talked to other people. And so, I mean, this is a totally made-up story. It's kind of a parable. What if you grew up in this environment where just nobody talked to anybody? And so your example was skewed, and you wouldn't even really know it, but there would be this ache on the inside. I feel like I want to connect with people. I just don't know how. Imagine if you grew up in an environment like that. You'd be so disconnected. You'd see people interacting at parks. You'd see people talking and saying things, but you would just have no grid. Like, what's happening? Because you had no example. And that's sort of what Jesus sees the situation as. There is such an infected religious culture that people have this ache to know God, but they have no grid for how to do it because even the leaders are doing it wrong. And so he's like, I have to really seriously call this out. This is full-blown hypocrisy. The leaders are not only not doing it, it's making the people not know God or how to connect to him at all. The shepherds are supposed to be the ones saying, here's how you connect with God. You pray. You pray like this. You live a lifestyle like this, and then you feel close. But that was so off, they couldn't, there was just no hope for people connecting with God in a real way. Then there's a few exceptions. But, I mean, Jesus is looking at Israel going, the whole nation is called to be a, a kingdom of priests. Every single one of them are called to be prophetic and have a deep relationship with God. But it's so far off. So that's uh, just a way of looking at it, just to kind of make it connect. Let's go down to the first concern and just kind of get at that a little bit more. The motivation to be seen by people. When we're going to church, I hope people see me. When we get on stage, I hope people see me. When we go up to the microphone, I hope people see me. When that consumes our life... We live totally different. We don't do anything in secret. It's always about the stage. It's always about what the boss sees. It's always about who sees me. And it just takes our life way off the rails. But when we live it privately, and we know God sees us privately, then doing things in public is just kind of a formality. It's what we are already. And so I don't live to be on Facebook, even though I am. I don't live to be seen praying, even though I am. Really, my big thing is, I want to go be with God. (laughs) My wife has been making fun of me a little bit, because I keep staying up later and later at night, having these study sessions. She's like, dude, you need to go to bed, man. (laughs) I'm like, but so good. The pandemic kind of rattled me in a good way. Kind of gave us more time, and then I can pray more and study more, and this is fun. So Jesus called this this concern, this desire to be seen. This unhealthy obsession, I should say. It's good to be seen and noticed by people. It's good to to be seen by God, and that's what he's going to get to. But this this overemphasis on I have to be, I have to get credit. I have to have people see me. This has to go on YouTube if I do something good. I make sure someone videos it. 
That whole spirit, Jesus says, this is hypocrisy. You, got, you can't, can't flirt with that. It's, it's dangerous territory. So the community is just rife with showmanship. and There's this temptation to perform instead of worship. And, and again, it's as old as mankind. It didn't start with YouTube. It started with Adam and Eve. It started all the way back then. People wanted to be seen by other people. Even as early as Moses, we see the jealousy between Moses and Aaron and Aaron's wife. And did, did, Are you the only one that should be in charge? Are you the only one? I mean, we, we should be seen too and lead. And there was that contention there. Jesus was so concerned that his disciple community that had been growing, that would eventually become the church, he was wanting them to break from this mold, so he's giving them teaching. So he points out the flaw, he points it out, and then he says, here's the remedy. Here's the remedy. When you pray, go to your room, God sees you. God sees you. He'll reward you. It's not about your friend watching you that's going to be impressed. It's about you have a father who genuinely sees. And so the solution is to understand the nature of God more clearly. What we're going to see tonight is that what Jesus is ultimately teaching is the nature of who God is. He's teaching us to view him more correctly. He's saying, here's here's the fix. Know that God really does see you. Even when you're all alone and no one can see you or hear you and you're not on YouTube or anything, you have the audience of God. How remarkable is that? And especially when you pray, He's attentive to your life. Always and forever. You're never really alone. Jesus says, I'm with you even to the end of the age when there will be the most tribulation on the earth. I'm with you even then. And if you're all alone, and if you're broke down to the point of praying, you're praying with tears, you can't even speak, I see you. Jesus is saying, if you connect with that God the God of the Bible, the God who sees you, you'll live different. It will never be about the camera. It will just be for Christ. And yes, we'll be on camera. People will take pictures and all these things. It won't move us too much because really we're trying to live it in secret anyway. Jesus knows if we have a passion to be with him in secret, our public life is just a formality. It just It is what it is at that point. But when we're trying to kind of be in the, in the spotlight and we have no individual private reality, it's dangerous territory. Be assured tonight, God sees you. He sees you always and He most certainly sees you when you're praying in the secret place. Very quickly, this revelation of the God who sees goes all the way back to Genesis 16. Very quickly, you guys remember Hagar, Abram and Sarai, before they became Abraham and Sarah, they're like, how do we make this promise thing work because we're so old? Hey, Abraham, you have a kid with my maid, Hagar, and maybe that's how God's going to do it. So they do. 
So Hagar gets pregnant, and then Sarai hates her for it and gets so jealous, begins to just, you know, get mean toward her in, a, in a, like an emotionally abusive kind of situation. So Hagar's like, I'm out of here. And in that running from Sarai in the wilderness, what's it say? God meets her and says, Hagar, I see you. I know you're mistreated. I know what's going on. But I just want you to know, I heard your tears and I'm going to make your son really great. And he's going to be, I love how the Lord says he's going to be a wild man, but he's going to be like a father of many nations kind of thing. You can read more of the story there in Genesis 16. She says, Hagar literally says, you are the God who sees me. As broken as I am right now. I was just trying to help my Abram and Sarah. I was just trying to help, you know. I thought maybe this was a God thing. And then Sarah chases me off and I'm broken. And, you know, and the Lord says, I, I really see you, Hagar. This revelation that Jesus is teaching dates all the way back to Genesis. And by God's grace, I have here on the second page, by God's grace... We often turn to Him in a deeper way when we experience mistreatment or trauma. I think of Hagar in the Old Testament. I think of Anna in the New Testament. Anna lost her husband early. She was an early widow, and yet she pressed in to the prayer room for six decades. She was in the temple. So Jesus wants us to know He really does see us in that hidden place of prayer even when we're profoundly broken and praying from pain. Let's go to the second, the second issue. So he, he highlights this motivation to be seen, and then he highlights just a total misunderstanding of how prayer works in his second. I got a whole chunk there that I'm going to skip down to, and I'm going to just quote R.T. France in the first bullet. He says, it's not purely me- mechanical, this vain, uh, these, these useless babblings that Jesus highlights. Uh, R.T. Francis, it's not that they're just being completely mechanical. It's just that it's unnecessary. These people thought their view of God was, I have to keep saying a bunch of things and inform him because he doesn't know and he has to know so that he can answer specifically And so there was just a very skewed theological paradigm, again, that was the result of leaders living in hypocrisy. And so Jesus is like, you've totally missed it, and I have to help you understand. There's a revelation you need. I'm going to read it here. When you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans. They thought they'd be heard because of many words. Don't be like them. Your father, your father what? He already knows. He already knows. He sees you, and he already knows everything. And Jesus is like, this is good news. Start taking notes. He knows what you're about to say, and he knew it eternity ago. Jesus is just lifting off all of the anxiety related to prayer. God already knows. 
He wants you to know that He knows everything, including the prayer you're about to pray. And that's comforting. That's comforting to know that prayer isn't ultimately, God, I want you to know this. We do that. We do say that, but for our benefit mostly. So that when we say it and we see it answered, we make the connection. That's how we're that human. We need that. God says, yeah, eternity ago, I already took care of that. But when we pray, it's not meaningless at all. When we enter into that conversation and we pour out our heart, it's about the connection with Him. It's about that sincere connection. God, I know that you know, but I need gas in my car. And then He he moves something around or someone brings money or something happens. He wants us to know that it's about that sincere connection way more than I have to inform you so that you know. These people were genuinely like, I got to give him the full list or he doesn't get it. We do pray specifically. We do bring our lists to him. I'm into lists. I don't always do it. It just depends on the season. But when our starting point in prayer is that God already knows everything, literally everything, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, we feel free. If I don't pray actually what I need, if I forget, I have the assurance he knows and he'll take care of it. He was more interested in the connection. He was more interested in my heart being in that hour than me trying to appease him through many words and lengthy lists and essentially performing alone, which is what prayer becomes for a lot of people. They're so performance-oriented, even when they're alone, they're performing. And so they hate prayer. Jesus says, just clean, wipe the whole thing off. I see you. You can just be broke down you. I just want to be with you. Open the Word, read it, whisper a few things, and I call that effective prayer. There's not some superior model. And there's ways that we can stay engaged. We have to know ourselves a little bit. We've got to kind of know how we're feeling that day. And there's, there's ways we can engage better, and I'm all into that. But at the end of the day, he, he just he wants to know that sincere connection is what he's after. Because here's the thing. Prayer must be taught a lot more and theology must be taught a lot more. And, and I'm saying that because we draw lots of wrong conclusions about God. And it affects our relationship with Him dramatically. It affects our prayers. Some people think, well, maybe I didn't get that thing because I just didn't do X, Y, Z. There's people who live in fear. I'm talking about believers who live in fear They're afraid that they're going to mess up prayer. They're going to pray the wrong thing. They're going to ruin their chances of getting their prayers answered. Or worse, they're going to get something bad because they prayed wrong. There's so many misconceptions. Jesus just wants us to know. He really knows what you need. And he's a good father. He's going to take care of you. You don't have to take that burden of, oh, if I don't pray the perfect prayer, he's not going to do it. Or I might... He addresses this here in Luke 11. I'm going to bring this to a close here in a minute. Luke 11, 
If a son asks for bread, this is a teaching on prayer in Luke 11. If a son asks for bread, what father is going to give him a, a rock instead? If he wants a fish, who, what dad out there is going to give him a scorpion? If He says this, if you who are evil with a sin nature, if you want to bless your own kids, how much more God? How much more is God, who is only good, never evil, motivated when you say, oh, I need a piece of bread? How much more is He motivated to bless your life? And He's not waiting for us to say the perfect prayer, oh, Thou Father in heaven, celestial being, if Thou would doth provide a loaf of... He, he just says, just ask me. I'm, I already know what you're going to ask, and I already am predisposed to be good to you at all times. Jesus is saying, essentially, know who my Father is. He sees you. He knows what you need. And He's predisposed to bless you because He's a real Father. And just like I want to buy endless Lego sets for my kids, but I'm limited, how much more does God want to bless my kids? And He's unlimited. God wants to give good gifts. This is what Jesus said. If you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? What He's saying is, how much more will He give you even the greatest things that you need, the very Spirit of God, spiritual gifts, spiritual realities, far more consequential than just a piece of bread. How much more will He do that? We got an amen on on the front row there, Mr. Josh. I love Charles Spurgeon's quote. He says, Perhaps the exact petition which they offer may not be apparently be answered. Remember that God often hears the prayer of our prayers. This is a deep thought, but think about it. He often hears... If you're in front, you've got to be quiet. God often hears the prayer of our prayers and answers that. So we go, we don't know how nervous and anxious we are. We go and we say, Lord, I need money. And he goes, I know what you meant. Here. He views us through a lens of such grace because that's who he is. He views us through a lens of goodness because that's who he is. And so we don't have to worry like, ah, is he not going to take care of me if I don't pray long enough or right enough? Jesus just says, just know He sees you and He really does know and He really does take care of you. Go into prayer just to have that loving connection. The rest will be taken care of. So what we have essentially is Jesus teaching the theology of His Father. Now as as New Testament believers, we can pray to the Father We can pray to the Son. We can pray to the Holy Spirit. They are all fully God. Some denominations would be a little leery of the the third position there, but as as Bible-believing saints, we pray Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all equally God, co-equal. And that's upheld by substantial documentation in church history. That's written in the creeds. That's written down in the... uh, I mean, we, we serve one God expressed as three persons. That's the... Trinitarian position of orthodoxy. 
You can say, Father, I need something. Jesus, I need something. Holy Spirit, I need something. And they're all the same person. Now, some people have devoted their lives to differentiating. I just know this. They're God. And they hear us. And Jesus is in our heart by faith. The Holy Spirit's within. The Father, you know, there's so many ways you could say it. But at the end of the day, when we go into that prayer closet and we have that conviction, He sees me. I know that he knows. He's good to me. Can't go wrong. Now, you're going to hear people throughout your life say, you have to pray this way. You have to pray in the name of Jesus and then X, Y, Z. Or you're going to have people say, if you pray to your father, then they're going to, you're going to hear this so many times, guys, throughout your life, and maybe you already have, people giving, you got to pray like this. You got to, guys, that's what Jesus was addressing here. It, it's not this big nerve-wracking thing. Yes, pray specifically, but it's not really the specifics that move God. He already knew what you, what you needed already. Remember, he, he's mostly concerned about the connection. So you can just flip open your Bible to the Sermon on the Mount and just start praying through it. Father, make me a peacemaker. Make me more merciful. Give me a revelation of your mercy. You can pray whatever you want and the $20 you need, it's going to come. He knows you need it. Doesn't hurt to ask. Doesn't hurt to ask persistently. I'm going to be talking about persistence here soon. The need to persist and persevere in prayer but not to inform God, mostly for our own benefit, because prayer changes us. The genius of it all, God invites us to press in, keep asking for revival, keep asking for breakthrough, because then we change. The more we come into His presence and the more we talk to Him, He knows that it gets us. Because it's never God's, it's ne- the issue is never God moved, it's always us. Praise God for that. Let me conclude. I've sweat long enough. (laughs) Jesus' brief introduction to prayer, it was not a technique. How interesting. We're so desperate for one, two, three. This is how we do it. Good, God moves. Okay. Next topic. Not a technique, a clearer revelation of the nature of God. And here's what's interesting. The next subject in his teaching is the Lord's Prayer. And what I think is interesting is he says, I know how you're going to approach it. You're going to take the Lord's Prayer and you're just going to babble it. And you're just going to keep saying it over and over and over. We've got a preacher here. He goes, but I don't want you to approach the Lord's Prayer like that. Got to wait. Hold on. He says, I just want you to know, I'm giving you a prayer that you can pray next, but I want you to know God sees and He knows and He just wants a connection with you. So I'm going to give you some bullets to talk about, that He's your Father in heaven, that He's holy, that you need to forgive, that you can ask for your daily bread, but I want you to know He's not going to answer it because you said it so many times. It's because He loves you. Now, I'm not against the liturgical approach or the formal approach or to saying it over and over. Some people find comfort in that. I mean, I grew up Catholic and heard a lot of Our Fathers. Heard a lot of Hail Marys, a lot of Glory Bees. 
I'm never going to tell some old lady, don't pray the Our Father. I mean, pray that a hundred times, maybe it gets answered a hundred times somewhere. I, but how I see it and how I teach it is Jesus gives us these bullet points. He's a Father in heaven. Pray about that for a while. Forgive people. Pray about that for a while. It's these subject headings that have much more teaching behind them. But again, I'm never going to say, oh, you pray over and over. I, I think you can actually pray the Our Father over and over and it not be a useless babbling. I think that useless babbling is the conviction I have to say a bunch to impress God and inform Him. I think you can have a real devotional heart and say that over and over, Our Father. Again, it's the motivation. It's how do we view God? Am I saying, revival, 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 because God doesn't know we need revival, so I've got to tell Him a hundred times and then He gets it? Is that how small my God is? Or does he already know and he's trying to make me into a revival and so he's drawing me into that prayer? Is that what's happening? That's actually what's happening. I tell you what, it's really hard to do house of prayer when we feel like God's this big and we have to give him our list so he gets it. That's not a God worth worshiping and giving our life for and dying for. But I tell you, he is big. And I was follow this particular theologian on Twitter and he says usually when we describe God as big we say he's bigger than the universe but in his post he was talking about there's something bigger than the universe it's God God is as big as God (laughs) when you say it that way you're like "Ah, someone so big they made the universe there's someone bigger than that and that's the person we're praying to God is as big as God. And when we come to Him in prayer, He loves hearing our voice. He loves taking care of our needs. He hears us, He sees us, and He wants to know us. Or He wants us to know that and have the assurance of that. And we'll end there tonight because I always go long and I did go long. Amen and amen. Thank you for tuning in via Facebook. We're going to tune out. Caleb, you can... Tune us out, and in here we are going to pray together to close the evening. Peace out, guys. Okay, you did it? Did you, did you post it? Okay, real quick, we'll get in a circle here, gang.